Hey everybody, welcome to episode 179 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host coming to you from Austin, Texas. I'm excited to be back with you today and I've got two guests joining me on the show and we're going to jump right in with them. It is Marathon Monday, but we'll jump in with them and talk about Marathon Monday in just a second. But for today's episode, I'm bringing on two of our coaches, Rogue Coaches, Ruth England and Jennifer Howard Brown, who've been with us for a really long time. They're going to be leading our women's only half marathon group that will be podcast based starting in May on May 11th. And so we've got them on to talk about not just that program, but also how training should be customized and tailored to women, particularly the physiological differences between women and men that might impact women in ways that should be accounted for in training. So we're going to be talking about those things, at least digging into that a little bit with them. And then as a part of their program, they'll be going into it in much greater depth. So I've got them here today to tee all of that up. And I'm excited to have them on as two longtime Rogue members. Ruth is one of our founders of Rogue. And Jen has been a coach with us and an athlete of ours for over 12 years now. So they're both veterans of the rogue community and i think you'll enjoy hearing from them today so with that as a quick intro let's jump right in welcome ruth england and jennifer howard brown to the running rogue podcast how are you doing today ladies doing great thank you chris excellent thanks for having us good to have you on we've got ruth joining us from denver jennifer howard brown joining us from the hill country Good to have you both on. I wanted to start with some intros for each of you, a little bit on your background, but to to step into that, given that it is Marathon Monday, I wanted to, and both of you run Boston, I wanted to start just by sharing some experiences from Boston as we kind of reflect on the fact that this is a Marathon Monday without Boston, but both of you have been there, both of you have done the race in in not only racing capacity, but coaching capacity. So we'll start with you, Ruth. What's your favorite memory of Boston? Uh, I think my favorite memory was uh, as a coach, we uh, ran or took, you know, public transportation out as far as we could. I think it was mile seven and we would run. It was way back when, when the course was certainly not closed and there were much, many more bandits and we would run the different people uh, from Rogue in. And so we start out with a super fast group, which I'm pretty sure I didn't really stay up with and then jog to the next person would catch us. And, um, there near the end, I would say in the last couple miles, we, uh, we, um, caught up was caught by Amy, our former coach. And we ran with her all the way till we basically got shoved off the course as what happened. You're about two blocks beforehand. There was sort of an entry in the fence, there an exit in the fencing that we could go out, but she was really intent in Boston at getting a, a PR and a goal. And so it was just, re- it was a lot of fun to help her. And after the fact, I think she, I mean, she, I know she was super appreciative of us um, helping her do that and be a part of her journey. And I think everybody was, but we, there are a lot of pictures from us from the race event. And so we got a lot of pictures um, back from that and we you could kind of see or relive that experience. And so um, even though I've raced it myself, or I should say run it, myself. Um, that was definitely, uh, one of the more special moments, uh, when it came to Boston. 
coach Amy Anderson. Definitely a different day when you could actually get that close to the runners out there without the security fencing. So give us extending there, just give us a little bit more on your background. You're one of the rogue founders, as I mentioned in the intro and have been around since the very beginning, obviously with rogue, but you started as an athlete before that. So give me a little bit on your journey to becoming a runner. Uh, yeah, my, so my journey as a runner actually had to do with my love of breakfast. Um, so in college I was a swimmer, I went to college to swim and I did that for a while, but my roommate ended up being, a, um, a runner. And on Sundays she would bribe me to run her long runs by giving me free breakfast. And I was like, Oh, free breakfast. This is awesome. I don't know why I've just, I've always really liked breakfast. And so I would just, I think because of the endurance from swimming and my parents uh, are big tennis players and they would run to help their tennis game. So I'd done some running. I just was really bad at it. I, I, I never really thought it was that interesting. I don't know why swimming with my face looking at the bottom of the pool was much more interesting. But it was. And uh, I think she was some of the reason why I got into running because I realized, oh, all you have to get is a pair of shoes. And then you can just sort of go wherever you want. It's an inexpensive sport. So when I moved to Austin, Texas, um, I was teaching school and pretty much only making enough to cover my rent and food. And so I have uh, kind of teeny feet. Like at the time, I probably wore five and a half. And I could buy kids' shoes, which was like a size 13 or three or I don't know. I can't remember what kids' shoes are anymore. But I could go and get them. So that's how I started running. And from there, I joined the runner's club. And from there, I ran a marathon. I got talked into that. And that's actually when I qualified for Boston. I remember coming across the finish line and someone saying, oh, guess what? You qualified for Boston. And I actually didn't know what it was. So I was like, well, what's that? And they were like, oh, the Boston Marathon. I was like, I'm not doing another one of these things. That was stupid. (laughs) And then, of course, I kind of figured out that, oh, that's a really cool thing to have happen. I'm definitely going to do it. So I, I did. I did go, um, I think the next year, not the year I qualified, I had to requalify again before I actually went to Boston. But um, so it was certainly special, but that sort of drove the love of coaching and running and friends of mine would always say, oh, you'd be a great coach one day. And I think that um, just having, being around uh, Runtex, the former big running shoe store in Austin and actually really doing more event stuff but still doing my own running with a uh, triathlon group there. I just sort of, so one day somebody asked and that sort of kind of got me into more coaching of adults. And then <clears throat> from there, I don't know, the story probably is well known when a run tech sort of sort of shedding its employees. One of the things they got rid of was training. And that's how we got our foot in the door was to be able to keep the training. And have been at Rogue. I was there, I think, 12, 12 years was I there before I left. I don't know if it was 10. And then left to try something new at Dell and try try out what that was like, um, kind of see what the corporate world was all like. Alike. And um, I liked it, but um, it's nice to be back at Rogue uh, where you're doing more of a passion uh, type activity and you're helping see lives change. Um, which although I love Dell just wasn't, wasn't as exciting as much fun and as rogue has always been. Yeah. So we got you back as a, as a coach, what would you say would be your top one or two sort of principles that you bring to coaching, whether they be training related or just philosophy on how you approach people? 
Um, well, I think when it, as a coach, one of the most important things I learned over the years was <clears throat> trying to figure out what makes somebody tick so that you, or what excites them about it and what they want out of it so that you can, you know, basically feed their need. Um, and then they, and get them excited and, and make them really interested in what they're doing. Um, so I guess that's also relating to them in terms of like coaching philosophy. I always think of it in probably a little bit like myself, where I have a tendency to overdo it. Like, oh, one mile was good. 10 miles is going to be great. <laughs> you know, so I spend a lot of time trying to back people off a little bit. Like, hey, let's, is this really what you need? Um, let's, you know, finish a workout feeling good. Let's not overdo it the next day. So just making sure people stay healthy so that they can do it consistently, because I found consistency in my own training has made it more successful than one workout or one long run, which hasn't always been the, um, even though they've been fun when I've tried to kill myself, um, um, they haven't always translated into good race days. But. And part of that, I mean, you've actually coached Jan, who was our other guest and co-host or co-coach for this group. Jan, bringing you into the conversation, talk about your favorite Boston memory first. So I've even had a few few seconds to think about this, and it's it's hard. It'd be like asking you which of your children is favorite. Um <laughs> It, it's 20. So my last Boston was 2015 and it was such a special race for me. I'd worked, worked for it. I'd worked toward it for years. It was the culmination of my world majors. And it, so there's so many things that stand out to me about that day. I mean, a few things in particular, like yellow daffodils right now, daffodils are blooming. It always reminds me of the Boston marathon because all over Boston, the yellow daffodils are in bloom. Um, but a couple of the the key moments, I loved being together with all the other roads and doing a big team photo at the finish line for, you know, the Boston Marathon. I mean, I, I felt like I was, you know, in the Super Bowl. Um, and I really loved hanging out on the bus before the race. I know that seems like a really strange memory, but it was this jumble of like excitement and nervous and, you know, freaked out but like super zen, um, celebratory, you know, all of these weird emotions going through. And then like looking around, it's like all these people that I knew and loved and had trained with were right there in the same boat, you know, going through it together. And then on the race course itself, you know, I, I think about like, I was, it was such a joyous day for me that I was like, I was taking in every mile, right? Like the signs on the side of the road, the spectators that were there, um, my support crew all over that course or rogues on that course. But I was also in a lot of pain. I ran it injured, made myself more injured during it. Right. So while I was loving it and, and trying to take all the joy in, nothing was better than going right on Herford left on Boylston <laughs> to get to that finish line because I knew the pain would end. The victory had already happened, right? The victory was that I was there and I was doing it and I was finishing my world majors. Um, and then, of course, the post-race celebration. It's pretty awesome. Um, popping some bottles and, you know, celebrating with friends. But uh, I am sorry for all the people that don't get to run Boston today. I hope they get to run it in September. It's just there's there is absolutely nothing like it. For sure. And your journey there was a a big one for you. I mean, it was not a slam dunk. I think Ruth said she got it on her first 
marathon, that was not the case for you. So talk about your history as a runner and how you got to that point. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I credit Rogue really with getting me there because, you know, I started running with Rogue uh, 10 plus years ago, super recreational runner. Boston was not even a thought for me. I I never thought that was a possibility. Um, and then, you know, after a few years, I was, I was progressing. I was improving. And when I started at Rogue, I was a 448 marathoner. It gives people an idea. Um, you know, it's just average, normal person, right? Just average runner. And, um, you know, as I really committed to my training, was consistent and built, you know, macro cycle upon macro cycle. It had great coaches along the way. Ruth was one of them. Ruth helped me with several breakthroughs, um, huge breakthroughs on this on this path to Boston. And, um, you know, little by little, like, you know, my coach, I think, I think it was actually uh, John Shrupp, I think was the coach who put planted the seed in my head. He said, Hey, why aren't you going for Boston? You know, you could. And that was the first time I'm like, no, me, me? well, maybe my times are getting closer and closer. Okay. And so, um, yeah, so it, it was quite a journey. And I think for, for all of, you know, the, the people who are either just starting to run or maybe are just, you know, average recreational runners, if that is a, a goal, it is absolutely possible. And I'm a perfect example of that. For sure. And as your running journey evolved, you got into coaching as well with Rogue. And so talk a little bit about your philosophy as a coach and how that's evolved for you. Yeah, actually, I, this this is another one I have to give Ruth credit for um, was, uh, you know, again, I was, just, I was just a rogue. I was a, you know, an enthusiastic rogue. I trained hard. I loved, uh, loved the community, but I was just a runner. And um Ruth asked me to coach a beginner group and I'd never even thought about coaching and asked me to coach a beginner group, um, with another, another person at Rogue, uh, Laura. And, um, that was 11 years ago. I, I, I looked it up today cause I didn't even know how long it had been 11 years ago that we coached this beginners group. And I, I found this passion for coaching. And at that time, it was, it was taking people, you know, basically our couch to 5k program, um, taking people from just starting out to, to getting them to those, those first hurdles. And, you know, I learned a lot about myself, uh, in that process. And, you know, over the years I've found I'm actually probably I'm better with experienced athletes than I am with beginners because my style is a little bit drill sergeant with a little, um, like blowing a little poof of glitter and sparkle <laughs> on them at the same time. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm pretty tough love. Like if you're, if you're going to do the work, I will invest as much of myself in you as I can. If you're not going to do the work, I don't have time for you. You know? So I, I think I learned pretty quickly, like I needed people who were, who, who really wanted it and wanted to improve. Doesn't mean they have to want to be, you know, a Boston marathoner, but they got to want to be better. They've got to, you know, want to better themselves and to accomplish some kind of goal. So that's what I learned about myself along the way. And I think, I think my athletes would, uh, would describe that. I'm a little bit, you know, drill sergeant, hardcore, but then also love and sparkle and glitter. 
just to be clear, your group's nickname is the Gen and Tonics. <laughs> so it's it's not all hard work. Um, well, we're, we're hardcore about everything we do, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> right. Work and, hard, play hard. Exactly. <laughs> well, what's one thing you remember about working with Ruth? I know you had a big pivotal shift in your running, working when, with her under a heart rate-based program that we did back in the day at Rogue. But what do you, what's one thing you remember about working with her as a coach? Yeah. So, so I would say, um, Ruth was a great coach for me because she's not a cheerleader. She's very supportive, empathetic, but sometimes she also, she knows what you need before you do. And I, for years I've had this, um, I had an aha moment when I was training with Ruth. We were, we were at lunch uh, right before I was going to London, I was about to do the London Marathon, which was a breakthrough race for me. And um, we'd been going through heart rate training, like a, a really like uh, challenging training methodology, methodology to get to that race. And we were at lunch and she made this comment to me about um, how I needed to turn my energy inward that I give all my energy away and I, I give my energy to everyone else. I'm, I'm thinking about them and doing what they need. And I'm not turning that energy on myself and focusing on what I need. And this is all in, in, in the context of racing, right? Traveling with friends who are also racing and, and doing what they need you to do. And that was such an aha moment for me, not only for racing, but, but in life. And it was something I didn't even know about myself. But she did. So I think that's one of the great things about Ruth. She, while she may not be, you know, constantly, you know, on you, cheerleading, whatever, but she, she will see these little things and be like, this is what you need. And she'll give you that nugget. Oh, thanks, Jen. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so now that we've gotten to know the two of you a little bit, let's dig into our topic. We're going to talk overall about this new program that we have starting in May, podcast-based training coached by the two of you for women. But this isn't just another program that could be applied to anybody. This program will be specifically designed for women. And we wanted to talk today about some of the principles behind that. I'm going to take this to you, Ruth. Before we dig into those principles, give us a little background on your journey with this topic and particularly how the book Roar played a role. Um, well, I think as a, I think I took my racing after my collegiate swimming, especially when it got into running and even with triathlon really seriously. And at times I thought, oh, how good could, could, could I get? Um, but there are just moments in my training where things just went terrible. Like a race would just go abs. I mean, everyone's experienced, I think men and women both, but things would just go absolutely wrong. And you'd look back at your training and go, gosh, what was that? And then there's always for women, I, I'm, uh, I know there always is a fear is, oh God, when is my period going to hit? And did I pick a race right in the middle of my period or, you know, right in the days that I feel really crappy beforehand. And I'd had conversations as an athlete with a couple coaches, um, one particularly Zane Castro, who worked at Austin Tricyclist with me, and he talked about, you know, oh, well, maybe at some point we can manipulate your uh, menstrual cycle so that it doesn't affect your racing. 
And I never really asked many more questions and never got many more answers and we never really did anything. Um, I think Rogue came on a little bit soon after that. But I, I just, it's always, you know, as a woman, it's always really affected training and racing. I just never quite understood why. And then as I've moved into my 50s and I've been uh, going through menopause, um, in the beginning of it, like I don't sweat at all. As a matter of fact, I think I run with the biggest sweater, female sweater or sweater ever, Nidra. I'm sure she won't care that I mentioned that. (laughs) Sweat through her whole entire outfit. And when I first started into menopause, one day we're running and I was soaking wet and it sort of happened for a couple months. And I finally had to go to her and say, okay, I need new clothes because this isn't working. I mean, every part of my body would chafe at the end of the run. And then I got the kidney stones and just, there was all this kind of mishap that would happen. And I was just really frustrated. Like, what do you do? Am I a different athlete? Can I be just as fast? And a friend of mine who was one of the original road coaches named Janie um, Hayes, She's um, an ultra cyclist now, and she had, I remember she had been having trouble with hormones. She's actually about 15 years younger. Um, So it didn't seem like it would be menopause, but she said hormone. I thought, oh, there you go. That's my answer. And I went to her, and she's the one who really didn't give me any advice, but she said, you should read this book, Roar. Um, It's been really helpful, not just understanding hormones better and how they play a role, but also understanding what to eat. And she said she found just from an eating standpoint that she was kind of starving herself to death. Not meaning to, but as I think as women, we always tend to not have the right number on the scale or always using exercise somewhat to to look better um, as much as it is for a lot of other reasons. And so she's like, I bet you there are some things that you could tweak, even half reading her book um, that you'll find really interesting. And so I, I dove into it and then started telling everyone to read it, <laughs> which is sort of like me. Everyone read it. It's the best book ever. <laughs> and I actually think it's really helpful. Um, and, and so when we talked about this class and creating a women's class, I wanted to embed this book into it, at least for a discussion, because I just don't know where else to talk about it. I I feel like um, Jen and me are in a similar age group, same age group, I think. And one of the things both of us have remarked is a lot of women's issues, I feel like our generation or our part of the generation is on the forefront of having the topic being discussed. And so for both of us, um, menopause is the topic. And I'm always like, why isn't anyone talking about this? Why isn't there a discussion in sport? Why aren't there more discussions just every day about how much it affects your life? Because it really does affect and change your life more than just the jokes about the, you know, it's too hot in here. Um, and I remember ladies who were that I coached that were older than me at the time always were asking me for, um, well, can you guys do a group for us old people? And I don't think we're old, so I disagree with that. But I knew what, I knew what they meant. You know, it's clear that things change um, both physically and actually mentally as uh, you go through menopause. Um, and I can see what they were trying to get to. You know, what do I do now? So I think that was it. And then also I, my experience as a coach at Rogue, um, I always noticed I actually love the beginner and feel like that's actually my strength is the couch to 5K group or the first time half marathoner. Um, 
and I noticed um, that women predominantly come to Rogue. Um, I think we accept instruction more, but I actually think we just like networking community more is really what it is. And, uh, and, but they come for a reason. They come because something traumatic has happened in their life or they're over something traumatic like cancer or some type of illness. Um, having kids and wanting to kind of get back into shape again or be healthier for their children. And also after something like divorce or a big relationship ending, whether it's divorce or maybe the loss of a loved one. And we're sort of a home base and a family for that. And I've always felt like having an all women's group at Rogue, um, and since this is working out really nicely, unfortunately, for virtual, through a virtual platform to reach more people, um, is uh, something that I, I would I'd really like to provide. And so I was glad that Jen was willing to do this with me because I think it'll be better. And then, um, of course, your wife, Amy, helping us out where she can, um, I think will make a really fun dynamic for everybody. Yeah, and just to give a, I wanted to give a full title on the book, book just so people can look it up. But but this book by Dr. De- Stacy T. Sems, the full title is Roar, How to Match Your Food and Fitness to Your your Unique Female Physiology for Optimum Performance, Great Health, and a Strong Lean Body for Life. So I think that full title kind of gives people a perspective on what it's all about. And then what we wanted to do today was talk about six subtopics, all of these covered in the book and things that will be carried forward into this program in terms of principles that will be applied, especially related to how women are different and they have different needs in their training. Some are obvious, some not so obvious. We'll start with the overarching principle really of the book and of this program that we're introducing, which is that women are not small men. And I know there's a lot of industries, not just training industries, but but product industries and that that sort of treat women as small men. So talk, Ruth, first about that fundamental thesis. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that all my years of training, that's exactly what I thought. Oh, yeah, we're just teenier. We need a little bit less calories. Um, but really, all the research and all the information is exactly the same. We should train exactly the same because I you know, I think my feeling was I'm as tough as that guy over there. I can beat him. <laughs> don't, don't give me, don't, don't give me a little blank or I'll pass you. Um, because I, I, I know the secrets. I'm going to read all about it. I know I read every single book I felt like there was on training while I was being a serious a- athlete when I first got started in triathlon and then as it morphed more into just running. And then, um, but I did exactly what the men did, took in the same calories that the men did, but we just, our hormones, because they fluctuate every 14 days, we're in a different cycle. Uh, Either we're in a high hormone phase where we have lots lots of estrogen and progesterone, or we're in a low phase, we're actually most like a male in terms of our ability to, take in carbohydrates and use them and regulate uh, heat. Um, So we just go back and forth. And so because that fluctuates so much, there's just no way for us to be treated um, like a guy, but, but it was, I mean, I always, I used to get mad when I'd see that little body glide package when they started making it, it was 
teeny and cute and pink. And I'm like, oh, it makes me so angry. Why did you do that? I mean, just sort of so contrite and taking um, the difference between the sexes. And I love body glides. So it's not like I, I use it all the time, but I use the blue version. Um, but taking that and just saying that's all there is, just just a little fewer calories and, and just make it look cute. Um, the same thing comes, I mean, like you were saying, in other areas. Like I'm a welder. And use a lot of power tools. And I, I don't have very big hands, um, my girl, but, and I found it extremely difficult to work with some tools and be successful. And I bet you there are actually men out there who have rather small hands who find the same thing. But there's also different ways that we use equipment and use um, because of our smaller statue, where our center of gravity is, where our actual power is, our lower body. Um, that that makes a difference in how we approach something. I don't think there's been enough uh, research or, or information out there um, to help us be more successful. So again, so excited um, to see something come out that talks about um, the differences and what we can do about it. Not just like, hey, you're different, but hey, you're different. And here are some approaches to, to solve those issues. Yeah, I think in running footwear, they would say just pink it and shrink it. Yes. I think was the was the mode in for many years in terms of how women's footwear were treated. Jen, what are your thoughts on this this topic? Yeah, so when when Ruth called me about this this group and she mentioned this book, um, you know, that Susie Sims had written about, you know, women not being a small not being small men and needing to approach their training, their nutrition, recovery, et cetera, differently. It, it really hit home with me. Even before I read the book, um, it hit home with me because, you know, in the last, I'd say in the last three to four years of training, things definitely changed for me, right? Where I, I had a harder time recovery. I got stuck in these injury loops that I could not get out of, right? Just these, these unending injury cycles. And you know, kind of going through this, um, this book and reading about, you know, kind of how our hormones are different, how we should, um, manage our nutrition differently or our, um, training or recovery differently, depending on different phases of our cycle really hit home. And it was something that, you know, my, my coaches didn't know then I didn't know then even my, you know, my PT experts and, and the people that I was working with to try and get out of these, um, out of these kind of endless cycles, they didn't know. And so it really resonated of like, Ruth is onto something. And if we can open up a forum, neither of us are, are experts in exercise physiology. We are not PhDs like Stacy is. We're not pretending to be, but we, we do have some experience behind us. We do work with a lot of athletes who have experienced some of these things. And so it, it gives us an opportunity to open up a forum and, and get people talking about it. So you mentioned hormones, which takes us really to the second subtopic we wanted to cover. Obviously, women's hormones are different from men's hormones, but how does that manifest in a way that would affect training? Yeah, so, you know, I'm even going to take this back to a personal experience. You know, at one point, I was really struggling in training, and my doctor recommended doing a hormone panel, doing some testing, seeing what was going on. And um, I'd say even that didn't uncover some of these things, right? So like the basic panel that you go do with your OB-GYN, it doesn't necessarily give you enough information. Hormones influence our ability to regulate our heat, 
how our body responds to the macronutrients that we're taking in, our hydration, our performance, our recovery, it affects our mood. You know, it, it affects so many things because these hormones are little messengers in our body that are, are delivering information to different parts of our body and back to our brain. And so they are really pivotal in our not only our training, but our, our recovery so that we can be ready to train again. So you referenced it earlier, Ruth, kind of talking about the different phases that a woman might go to one, go through one where they're more like a man and, you know, one where they're not. So talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And I will admit too, I actually, having been a woman on this planet for 53 years, there was a couple aha moments in just understanding the phases. Um, so I didn't realize your phase started the first day of your menstrual cycle. Um, first to me, I was like, Oh, that's the beginning of hell. Um, but <laughs> it's actually the best day. I know, uh, we should bring it up that that on during her period is when Paula Radcliffe actually broke the world record in Chicago in 2002, suffering from menstrual cramps. But the reason she did is because that's the time, that's when your progesterone levels and your estrogen levels start to drop and you're more like a man. But what um, Jen mentioned is that you don't have as much trouble regulating your body heat. And so that, that can definitely lead to it. Your sodium levels are actually start to increase as you're in the lower hormone phase. Um, and also just the breakdown of your, of your muscles is less severe during your, that phase versus during the high phase, which is 14 days, starts 14 days after your period starts. Then those things start to become more difficult because estrogen and progesterone are starting to enter your system in order to get you ready basically to, to uh, get pregnant. And during those times where you start having a lot of trouble uh, with heat. And I think for me and those of us in Texas, um, <laughs> we have heat all the time. And so it just makes me think of, oh my gosh, if I were had been able to tell some of the women I coach and even myself, oh, well, if you're within these days before your period, you know, back it down a little bit. <laughs> Don't feel so bad because it's not just the fact that your body is is uh, not um, dealing with the heat very much and not really sweating very well. And I don't even sweat. So that would be even worse, but you just don't feel well. And feeling bloated is actually a thing. It isn't just something in our heads. I mean, your genes start getting tight, but a lot more is going on in your body. And, and, and so you can't really work out to the level that you can expect on the other 14 days. And so some of the things I think that are really exciting is to help women track that because I never really tracked much of my menstrual cycle and sort of look at, well, where are you? Okay. So we have a really hard workout schedule. Let's, let's, let's change this and modify this workout. Um, let's maybe modify your long run around, um, your menstrual cycle or the days leading up to it so that you can feel more successful. Cause it isn't that you aren't in shape. It's just that you don't feel that you're in shape. <laughs> because of all this other stuff that's going on in your body. So to summarize, the first two weeks, really, from the start of your period to 14 days later is when you're more primed to, to do hard work. Mm -hmm. And then those last two weeks before your period starts again, that's when your estrogen levels, your progesterone levels are higher. And that can cause challenges with hard efforts because of 
things like a delayed sweat response, core temperatures higher, you've got lots of sodium happening, muscles break down faster. I mean, there's a whole host of things that's happening in that latter two weeks that can create challenges when you're when you're in heavy training. Right. And I think one also thing I didn't mention was that you also have decrease in your blood plasma volume. So basically you don't have as much fluid or water in your in your blood plasma. So that's why you're having trouble regulating heat, but you also aren't able to carry the oxygenated blood to your working muscles as efficiently as you can the other 14 days. And so it's kind of like having maybe like if you go back and forth, it's kind of like EPO, but you don't have any of those benefits actually. But so you're, you're, it's harder to breathe when you're, when your heart pumps, you don't actually pump as much blood during those 14 days where your, um, your hormones are high versus the other 14 days. There's, there's just a whole bunch of energy because of progesterone and, and estrogen, which are kind of being diverted to get your body ready to get pregnant um, versus those other 14 days, that isn't happening and you're actually kind of getting a break. That's why Paula Radcliffe having her period as, you know, or in the beginning of her cycle actually was a relief because her body kind of relaxed and went, okay, we're done doing all that stuff for now. Let's just concentrate on some running. <laughs> and so it's, it was actually easier in a sense for her that way. Yeah, it probably wasn't very pleasant as every woman who can hear this <laughs> knows, but compared to like what in the insides, what was going on was a lot easier for her body and for her. But obviously, Jen, you can't just, you're not just going to take two weeks off of training during that part of the month. So what is that? mean and we don't have to go into it in full detail but what does that mean from a training standpoint yeah i think it's just being more aware during training and there are some things we could do um to help change it you know for instance the um you know the sweat response and the core temperature um you know we did get some tips from the book of okay lower your core temperature before going out to the work i think some of those things are actually really handy tips when you're training in a summer heat in austin texas as it is but yeah, I mean, I think it's just being aware of it and, and starting to make some changes around it, um, changes to your diet. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about was in that high hormone phase, you, your, your body wants to store glucose. It doesn't want to give up carbohydrates as easily. And so it, it hampers our, our body's ability to be able to, to go through its normal process and, and synthesize muscle. Um, and so it's taking branched chain amino's, um, you know, uh, making sure you're you're getting more carbs in your diet during that time frame. Like they, there are some things we can do in order to change it, and so we'll we'll dive into that much more in depth, like throughout the program. So, second topic: hormones. Third, wanted to drill in a little bit on menstruation itself. We've already kind of covered that a little bit, Ruth. But talk a little bit, and you've talked about the impacts of it already. It being sometimes a good thing for performance. But let's dig into that a little bit more. What else do we need to know there? And how else does that affect women in training? Um, well, as we mentioned about the, the blood plasma volume uh, changing during your high hormone phase, um, I think your and your heart rate changing um, during during that time as well, because you're not pumping as much. I think some of 
some of what you just, as Jen said, you need to be aware and then think about things you can do to mitigate the situation because you certainly don't want to get it. I mean, I don't think that we're not suggesting that women should become men, nor can we. I think it's more realizing that there, this isn't in your head. Um, you're not making it up. You're not not working hard enough during this time. Um, this is actually a physiological change, and being aware of it will allow you to do something about it. Um, and I know we talked we've talked about heat a little bit, um, but I think you know making sure that you are not only you know having something cold drink before you go if you're dealing with heat. Um, if you, I know for a while I had a couple athletes who use ice towels. I think things you can do while you're working out to cool yourself. And then I think more, uh, really important is what you do to take care of yourself post um, workout. You know, so we always have talked about getting. Um, you know, a, a ratio of carbohydrates to protein uh, that chocolate milk nicely has. Well, as it turns out, women need a little bit more protein um, after workout. So adding, having a little bit of chocolate milk plus some almonds will help uh, is a good kind of substitute post-workout. Also, it turns out that women versus men, we have a smaller window uh, for recovery drinks and recovery fuel. And so we want to make sure that we take those within 30 minutes. And it turns out men can wait a little bit longer, up to 60 to 90 minutes after a workout. What happens is because women, uh, especially during the high hormone phase, we burn um, primarily, we're trying to save our carbohydrates. So we burn more fat, which sounds really great. And it is good for an endurance sport. But as soon as we're done the workout within three hours, we're done burning fat. Our body turns that off. Unlike a man who sometimes can burn fat uh, up to 21 hours after a workout. And so that affects our ability to recover from a workout. And so it's really important for us to restore those carbohydrates and do that through protein uh, at, within that 30 minute window. Hmm. Let's talk about tracking periods for a second. I know that mm -hmm. during the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, there was last summer there was much news about, at least for the U.S. Women's National Team, I think they had a dedicated expert staff member basically helping the women track their cycles and then figure out what that meant for outcomes and training and results going on to the pitch. So what, what do women need to know there? I mean, what, what is other than just tracking days, what do they need to be looking at and tracking and monitoring? What I think one thing I've, I really found that was interesting um, and one plus about being in a, an endurance sport uh, and something where your feet just hit the ground is that we actually lose our dexterity and some of our coordination during that high hormone phase. And so I'm assuming that with, if you know have that knowledge and you're in charge of the soccer team, that that dexterity and the coordination are really, really important. There, I mean, I don't know. There wasn't. I haven't read or seen much what what you can do to combat that, other than maybe just being aware that that's the case. I assume staying extremely well hydrated is really important, and I know that your brain functions better if you're well hydrated. And so, I think that that would be a, a piece of what they were trying to do is to say, okay, well, these many women on the team are going to be in the high hormone phase, like pre menstrual period. Um, and so uh, we need to make sure that we're very attentive to what kind of food they're putting in their bodies, because 
um, you know, the better quality of the food, the amount of protein they're putting in their bodies, and then their hydration level will probably help um, with that coordination. Since we're runners and we just have one foot in front of the other, <laughs> it's a little bit easier. But I do think making decisions on the fly, um, especially in a race scenario, I can see that being challenging. I know I've experienced other coaches, especially on the track, like when you're when athletes are going around trying to pay attention, trying to get them to pay attention to what they're doing and not zoning out too much so that you don't go way too fast or way too slow. And so I can see that kind of thing for in the running situation. I also wonder how many women trip. <laughs> during the high hormone phase. You know how we always seem to have on long runs, people come back bloody because they hit a curve. Yeah. I wonder if any of that has to do with uh, if we fa if we actually track their cycle, we could say, hey, well, you might trip on a curve during these days. Just I just didn't know that that was even a factor of, of, of mm. what happens during your high hormone phase, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. And, and Jen, taking this to you, Another factor here with menstruation is just amenorrhea, and some women might lose their period depending on various factors. What are the considerations there? Yeah, well, I think I mean women are at at greater risk of stress fracture, right? If they're if they're amenorrheic, um, low iron levels, um, other lack of I guess vitamins and minerals, you know, all of those things can impact not only our performance, but our recovery and our, our injury rates or injury factors. And you don't, essentially though, you do, for those reasons, you don't want to lose your period. You want to try to maintain right, right. normal yeah. cycles, if I understand that right. Right. And then, you know, I think, you know, Ruth and I both had this experience as, as we've seen, you know, elite uh, female athletes where, you know, doctors have tried to help, like help us trick our bodies so that we don't get our period on race day. Right. And, you know, I think that was such an aha moment for both of us when we were going through this was like, Oh, actually that was backwards. We should not have been doing that. You know, but you, you hear, and even in the book, there, there are multiple stories of, of athletes who, you know, who had that same approach and then had terrible race days. So that, you know, that definitely says something for those women who, who don't get a period at all. Yeah. So it's okay. You want you want you, you want, want a cycle <laughs> to have a cycle, and even better if it coincides with race day. Yeah, I also in theory they. Uh, I mean, they there are some elite athletes. I know Paula Radcliffe mentions that the British team tried to manipulate their periods and was super unsuccessful, but. Um, because of some of the drugs that they gave them that uh, it did manipulate the period, but really didn't, didn't seem like it was probably changing the hormone levels that much, but they do do it using birth control pills. That is one way that you can manipulate your cycle with your doctor, <laughs> not with us, but you, I mean that they, you do do that. They also, you can use the IUD and there's some other forms of birth control that, um, that you can do some changing of that, but that would be something you, certainly want to do with your doctor. And as Jen said, having your period is a real sure sign of health, your overall body health, um, and not getting your period, um, is not worth the, the, the brittle bones later on. And some of the other side effects, um, that maybe during the time where you're like, I'm really tired of this every month seems like a great thing, but it, ultimately it isn't very good for your health. So. And so I want to 
drill a little bit more now in on the, some of the things you already mentioned, Ruth, you talked about recovery being different and, you know, talking about that refueling window is different for women than it is for men. The fat burning period post-workout is different. What are some other considerations when it comes to recovery that women need to be thinking about? Um, you got the two out of my brain was focused on. Um, the, uh, yeah, so definitely your window is, is, is quite a bit smaller, which I always found interesting. And I think that also has to do, from my understanding, some with the core temperature. Um, our bodies are um, core much warmer, but our extremities are cooler. So I, and a lot of times you'll notice, oh, women, they're always wearing gloves. They're always talking about how cold it is. But our core temperature is actually slightly higher than it is for, for men. Um, not by a huge point, like it's 978 to 974, um, they've found. But that is one reason why, even though we, we tend to have a higher core temperature, um, our hands in the uh, the loss of that heat happens more quickly for us, but that is an answer to your question. Um, <laughs> just realized, uh, still interesting. Yeah, still kind of interesting, but not on the right topic. Um, I, I think for us recovery, women have a more difficult time, you know, storing carbs. Generally, generally it's lower, and especially during the high, that high hormone phase um, when our estrogen levels are high. So making sure as soon as we're finished. Uh, uh, working out, especially a hard workout, then you want to go ahead and again, restore those carbohydrates um, and glycogen stores, which is what makes and protein helps do that. So that's why chocolate milk and the ratio, the four to one ratio is really helpful. It just turns out it's not enough um, protein. So adding almonds and also Jen mentioned earlier, you have um, the the BCCs, but basically the, the amino acids that you want to get into your body, especially leucine is an important one uh, for women for recovery. And so that's actually what's in almonds. And there's some natural forms of uh, leucine that you can um, do, use as well. But those are part some of the things that make recovery more effective for women. And then again, making sure you get that done within the first 30 minutes after exercise, because our body so quickly um, shift out of fat burning mode versus when we're in the high hormone time, even though we are born burning more fat than we are carbohydrates. Um, we end that fat burning mode a lot quicker. And some of it, I think is just, we, we have more body fat overall, like 14% for a female is extremely low. If you get below 12, you're, you're starting to dip into your inner fat, which holds your organs in place, um, versus, you know, men can be as low as 3%. Um, so we, um, we just store more fat more naturally in order to, um, uh, get ourselves prepared and for, um, for childbearing, clearly all of our fat is usually in our boobs. <laughs> and so there's a lot of fat there, but you want that for what your, your body is getting ready to do. And related to that, another thing you had in the notes and related to this point about recovery and the fact that men will burn fat longer and so forth is that you were noting that men tend to drop weight faster <clears throat> because of this difference in training and I think that's an interesting point because, as you were mentioning earlier, sometimes women become fixated on the scale in training as a as an outcome they're trying to drive in addition to performance, but the body's fighting against that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So talk about that piece. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things I, 
I know having trained next to a lot of men, you know, I always feel like you're like, oh, you just lost 10 pounds. How did that just happen? <laughs> um, I think, you know, because of the fact that we have a time period where we're storing carbohydrates and that's 14 days out of our cycle and cycles are anywhere from 28 days to 35 days, depending on the female. Um, so it is not exactly we're all, it's not just 14 and 14. It can vary a little bit, but during, let's just for argument's sake, say it's 14 and 14 during those 14 days where all of our progesterone levels and estrogen levels are increasing or at the highest amount, we're just trying to, our body naturally tries to hold on to all those carbohydrates. And though it allows us to, you know, uh, burn fat during exercise, um, we're not going to, we're not going to do that after pretty much after we finish, unlike a man. And so that makes it if, Chris, you can burn for 21 hours and I can only burn fat for three hours after we're done. I think your ability to drop weight a lot faster seems to be pretty obvious because you'll you'll be burning fat the rest of the day into the night and I'll be done. Right. I, I mean, it is true that we do burn more calories during those 14 days before our period. And so that um, one of the things she pointed out that that's about a candy bar a day <laughs> or a bag of chips. And it's not bad in order to have that those extra calories because our um, metabolism actually um, revs up just a little bit during those 14 days. So that's why a lot of times, I think during that pre-PMS period, uh, you feel kind of like, I got to have the starchy food and I need to have those chips and I have more of a, a chocolate craving. I, that is actually really normal. And I do think if knowing that your metabolism increases during that time, it's okay to go ahead and and you should have that candy bar or that chips or basically some more calories. I'm not sure the chips and the candy bar are the best choice, but it is understandable. <laughs> Choose uh, whatever you're craving, I would say. Yeah. So taking it to you, Jen, we talked a little bit before about heat regulation related to this and that that varies depending on the time of cycle for women. And particularly there can be trouble with dealing with heat in that latter half of the cycle. So how does that play in here? Well, I think the, the good news is this is this is one of those where we kind of win a little bit. I know a lot of a lot of this, you know, we're sort of fighting, but um on and heat regulation, so consistent core temp for us is is 90 degrees and hormones play a big role in that and regulating our, our core temp. Um, but for the most part I mean, um, I know there are individual differences, and Ruth mentioned Nidra earlier being a sweater, but for most part, we sweat less than men. And so we, during part of this cycle, we will have more difficulty with the heat um, because we can't, we can't cool our bodies, right? That's sweating is helping our, our bodies adjust. And, but as we acclimate, we get better at this, and then our heat tolerance actually ends up um, being better than men. And so in the end, like we start out, it's harder for us. The heat feels hotter. The progesterone levels, um, you know, make us feel, feel hotter to begin with. Or we have that lower blood volume, like we've mentioned with the, the plasma volume, we have lower blood volume. So during that phase, it's a little more difficult for us to, to sweat and to cool ourselves. But once we adapt, we are a little bit more efficient here and come out a little bit better. There are also things we could do 
in order to help cool. I, I mentioned earlier, like, um, you know, drinking something ice cold um, before we go out for a run and using that for our recovery drink as well, right? Drinking ice water along the course, things like that. So we can kind of help regulate that consistent core temp until we get acclimated and, and even after just to help us feel more comfortable. So going back to you, Ruth, we mentioned menopause earlier, something you've been working through and how that impacts everything in training. So let's talk specifically about that. What are some of the variables at play once you enter that part of life? Um, well, I, one of the things that I found uh, most challenging uh, during that time, or during in the beginning of menopause, has just been um, BI issues, I would say, and not really understand, you know, understanding, oh, I guess I think I need fewer calories because I think my metabolism slows down. Um, but because of not cycling, not having estrogen and progesterone in as the, in the same amounts as I had before, as that changes, um, I guess it actually messes with your um, ability to process fructose even more than uh, it was when you're younger. And I know she mentions, uh, Stacey Sims mentioned some studies uh, that have been done looking at both uh, women who are premenopausal and then postmenopause and how well they meta metabolize fructose. And the reason I bring that up is because that's Gatorade, Powerade, and gels. <laughs> and some of the things that we use while we're racing um, that I always used when I raced. And the older you get, the harder time you have actually utilizing fructose. And it can cause, um, you know, GI distress, actually fairly strong GI distress, um, mostly because um, uh, you're, you also have at this time have some insulin re resistance coming up. So basically your body creates another hormone that helps you digest sugar. And as you age, and especially during menopause, the, that isn't very effective. And so what basically happens is if you have, take a goo or you, you drink uh, Gatorade or any of those things, particularly during a hard workout or you know maybe even just every day, you're just not going to process it well. And it's just going to sit in your stomach, kind of like if you have a goo and you don't have any water to go with it. And then you have a, you'll end up with GI issues, cramping and bloating. And not only will you not fuel yourself during that exercise, I think also, I think you'll leave a workout or you'll, uh, you know, maybe you're taking the Gatorade to get hydrated afterwards. You're not really going to actually get the hydration that you're hoping. And so paying attention to what you put in your body is, I think, be, has become a lot more challenging. I mean, even just the carbohydrates being, you as you age, you need to pay more attention to uh, the type of carbohydrates carbohydrates that you use. And I think most athletes these days are going for the more natural food choices, um, the healthier, the more complex carbs. Um, but it's particularly important as you age and go through menopause to like choose the fruits and the vegetables as your form of carbohydrates or complex carbohydrates, meaning they have lots of fiber because that's going to help your body digest the foods and actually use them instead of having them just sit in your gut. So that's a lot of the physical side. What about the psychological side? You you kind of alluded to it earlier of saying, okay, what's happening? Why am I sweating so much? And there's changes that are happening that affect the mental side as well. So give us a little bit on that. Um, well, I, it is actually one of the uh, 
one of the times in a woman's life where she is more likely to suffer from depression um, because of the hormone changes and the drop in, I think it's progesterone. I actually, I'm pretty sure I'm right. I, all of a sudden I'm like, which one is it? But I think it's progesterone. And, uh, and because of that significant drop, um, and then cortisol levels actually uh, become increased during this time. Um, kind of like that anxiety that that's what happens when you're anxious all the time. Uh, those levels increase and you don't have the estrogen and the progesterone kind of to fight it off is the best way I can put it since I'm not a professional medical person. But basically that's what I understood that you end up or can end up being getting really, really depressed. There's also the other, another psychological thing I found and has to do with the same thing, uh, same hormone changes is that the whole idea of feeling like you're in a fog, like walking around like, Oh, Hey, did something happen? Like forgetfulness gets a little bit more. And once your body gets used to this new hormone phase, a lot of these things go away. So you'll have, for me, I had a time period where I'm like, I don't know where I left my keys. Where's my car? I mean, things that I know I would forget anyway, when I was not in menopausal, but it got a little bit more significant. Um, and same thing with just the mood stuff. I noticed for a while, my mood swings were a little bit more up and down and not even realizing that this was the reason I was just like, wow, I seem to be getting a little bit moodier. And, uh, I think I, I remember thinking, Oh, I, I started worrying about my dogs and I didn't want them to leave the house. I mean, just sort of these sort of strange mental things that crop up as your body, uh, changes and has less of those, uh, two key hormones and gets used to the, the kind of the new normal that happens. But I think to me that also in terms of training made me feel, uh, less like I really wanted to work out hard. <laughs> like I had, I had quite a few months where I was like, I just want to pitter pat down the road, which isn't a bad thing, but it was a strange feeling for me personally. Cause I've always been super competitive. It didn't matter what it was. <laughs> I always was like, let's, let's, let's race. Um, so that was a big change for me personally. Well, and I would imagine, I mean, not being able to relate at all, but just trying to imagine that suddenly you're sort of like, who is this person? You know, you know, both physically and mentally living inside of me that suddenly seems different in ways I can't understand. And that's a weird feeling to have at any age, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and you start wondering, well, you know, again, is it in my head or is this really going on? You know, and, and I guess personally never thought that this uh, that change would be that significant of a feel. Because again, I think for years we've joked, the joke, and I mean, I think we laughed about it. I hate to say it with my own mom, because she was always turning the air conditioner on in the car. You know, oh yeah, it's just about getting hot flashes and putting your head in the freezer or turning the air conditioner on too high in the car kind of thing. That's all I feel like had been discussed and um, previously, at least to my knowledge. And I don't know if Jen feels the same thing. So when all these other things started happening, I was like, huh, I wonder what this is. No earthly idea that this was menopause. <laughs> I don't know, Jen, yeah. find it similar. Ab absolutely. I mean, because I will say the other thing is I, I hit this phase very early. Um, and so I was 42, 43, and I had no idea what was happening because mm -hmm. I thought that was something that happened when you got old, you know, like, or, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it, it started, you know, at, at 
42, 43. And so, um, so it was really confusing. And I, I was, you know, I thought, I thought a lot of other things were wrong with me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think Chris is a really good, good way to put it is like, who is this person and what is happening? You know, all of a sudden I couldn't do things I could always do before. And, you know, I got, I've always been super healthy and I just got into this weird cycle of like, what is going on with me? And I'd say even, I think because of my age at the time, even the doctors didn't, didn't go there. Like they didn't think that that's what was happening, but in the end, that's what was happening. So there's much more we could talk about here. We really only kind of scratched the surface, but that's the point of our training program coming up coached by the two of you. So I wanted to finish this episode talking just a little bit about that. It'll be a podcast-based group, as I've talked about on previous episodes, starting on May 11th. We're going to be coaching. You two will be coaching athletes to half marathon. And really the the level of this group is intended for women who are first-time half marathoners all the way up to more experienced half marathoners who might be going for time. And you two will be leading. We'll have a foundational training program as a part of that to build you up and gear up for the half. But then obviously also these topics will be integrated within that content, including other experts coming in to share their perspectives, including my wife, Dr. McClung, who uh, will be involved here. And so I want to take this to you, Ruth. Other than those kind of key points about the overview of this program, you know, what else, what else do people want to know or need to know? Um, well, so we are uh, thinking or planning on sort of having three sessions a week. So one would be our session where we talk about the questions from the previous week that maybe some people have posted or lots of people have questions about where we post on the community or our group form. And then we'll talk about the week's workout and the long run and sort of what you do in between, try to answer all those questions as best we can. And then we'll go into a short discussion between myself and Jen and Amy, we hope, uh, depending on the topic, and about the book. Like, So we're going to go chapter by chapter, just like it was a book club. And it may take us more than one session to get through a chapter If you, when, you, when people start reading they'll realize how dense this book is. I mean, wonderfully dense, but just like, whoa, let me read that again. So we thought we would give our kind of highlights of it and and woes. I didn't know that beforehand. And then if it's in topics where we feel like we need, there's a whole chapter on pregnancy. And that's where we really hope to have Amy come and help us out, um, you know, have experts during that time. So that would be, that's one of ours. And then because we're virtual, and the whole world is virtual right now, basically. Uh, we're going to have a happy hour session. Um, and I say happy just hour just because it's easy easiest term, but we will have some happy hours. But also it'll be sort of a, a training check-in, like, hey, how'd your workout go? So it'll be a live call that we do as a group um, to discuss questions, to support each other, um, you know, and talk maybe a little bit more about the book um, and just to kind of get to know each other better. 
And then our third session, and this will be kind of more like our uh, special podcast, uh, we're going to have uh, come up with uh, several women that we have found, both Jen and I have found really inspirational. And I'll, I'll mention one and then Jen uh, can mention uh, one of the other ones uh, that we were going to have during our first month in May. And uh, one of them, and I have permission, is uh, Dion Schaffner. And she has been in Rogue for a long time. I was her first coach when she started doing triathlon and she's a really great, really great athletes, a clearly amazing person. But, uh, over the last, um, she got divorced, uh, I think it was two years ago. And right after, uh, the divorce happened, uh, her mother died and it was a very trying time to have a divorce and have her mom die who she was extremely close to and was a really, I think a really pivotal person in her life. And Dion just was amazing. Like there is no way really from the outside that you could see her miss a beat. But um, one of the things I, I really found inspiring about her is that all of that negativity and all of that energy she was able to take and do good with. So she became a CASA volunteer. She um, decided to create a nonprofit in honor of her mom and run that nonprofit on the side. And just like she just have, has a, list, a huge list of ways that she took her grief um, for the end of her marriage, as well as her mom's passing, and do really great things for other people. And so we wanted to have her on to kind of just talk about that journey that she's been on for the last couple of years and what she's done. And, and kind of how did you do this? Because I think um, in time, especially right now, where we're all so isolated and I don't know, there are bouts of depression, I, I believe, and, and really tough days there have been for me, kind of finding those people out there um, that are just like us that have found ways to kind of navigate this time. So um, she's one of our guests. And then I don't know, Jen, if you want to talk about one of the other ones. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and mine is a kind of a bizarre story, but um, I, I think the context of these these women that Ruth and I want to bring to our group are every women. They're they're women that we can all relate to. The woman that that I reached out to and who said she'd be happy to help us. Her her name's Brenda Stevens. She lives in Crawford, Texas. Um, which for those who aren't familiar with with the area, that's uh, you know probably hour and a half drive from Austin or so. And I don't know her really. I've never met her in person, but I completely know her and um, helped her train for the St. Jude Marathon in December. She was a guest at my house. She was an Airbnb um, customer, rented my house, saw our, our medals on the wall, reached out to me and said, hey, I have, I'm, I'm training for this marathon. It's my first marathon. I've never done anything like this. I'm not a runner. And she had lost her adult daughter, college-age daughter, Emily, um, to, I believe, leukemia while she was in college at UT. And instead of, which I cannot even imagine the, you know, the grief that she must have gone through, but instead of, you know, wallowing in her grief or, or you know, staying curled up in bed in the fetal position, which is what I imagine I would be doing. She turned it into something positive and she started raising money for St. Jude. She formed this 
group of friends and family. They had about 20 people on this team go to St. Jude's. They raised more than $20,000. And like I said, she was not a runner. She had never trained for anything like this. And so she started asking for tips and we formed this friendship and, um, and I ended up kind of remote helping her. And as she went along, she got more confidence and, you know, she was like, well, maybe I could go for a time after all. And she ended up running a, a 448 St. Jude's and accomplishing this amazing thing. And that, you know, it, it helped, helped her kind of rebuild herself and recover from this really traumatic event in her life. And so those are the kind of people that, you know, we're, we all are inspired by the Paula Radcliffe's and the Dina Casters and the Kara Goucher's, but that's, you know, the, that's not every woman, right? So the Dion's and the Brenda's, those, those are the women just like us. So those are the people we want to bring to this group. Yeah, that's good. I'm like, I'm excited about it personally to see how you guys take and shape this program. One of the exciting pieces of news to share with those listening is that we're going to be offering this the first month of the program for free so that anybody can join to check it out after the first month there will be our our standard monthly podcast best based training fee of $50 a month so that will come in the latter half you'll get a month to check it out and to see if it's worth your while and to get the instruction of these two ladies Ruth and Jen and and so that's exciting. If you want to learn more about it and get on our email list so that you can learn more and sign up when the time is right, because that'll be coming up soon, then I will post the link to sign up for our email interest list in the show notes. So go click on that, add your email so you'll get all the information when we're ready to launch the signups for the program. But again, it starts on May 8th. And I'm excited to help you two get this going. Thanks to Jen. Thanks to Ruth for joining me today. Really enjoyed chatting with you guys. And I think we've only scratched the surface. So I know, I know you guys are looking forward to getting into it more with the group. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. It was, it was good to, to talk about a subject that I know Jen and I are both really passionate about. We're really looking forward to do, uh, like getting a group of women, creating more family, more tribe, um, and uh, helping each other. And uh, and having a good time when we can actually figure out what race we're doing when the race schedule comes <laughs> up. <laughs> Seriously. All right, thanks, ladies. Thank you. There you go, Ruth England, Jennifer Howard Brown are two coaches for the new virtual women's half marathon program that will be starting on May 11th. As I mentioned, look for the link in the show notes where you can sign up to our email interest list, and we'll get you all those details on how to sign up when that is ready. We hope you join us and check that out. Again, the first month is free. And so we'll wrap this episode 179 here. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next week, we'll talk to you soon.